Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Michael J. Foster. Question one, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, sir, before listing my engagements, I'm sure that the whole House will want to join with me in sending our sympathy and condolences to the families of those members of our armed forces who lost their lives in Iraq and Afghanistan in action over the past few months. We pay tribute to their courage and their bravery and the importance of the work that they do, and this country is proud to have the armed forces that we have. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I'll have further such meetings later today, including, of course, hosting the talks on the future of Northern Ireland. Michael Foster. The excellent uh, accident and emergency and maternity services at the Hastings uh, Conquest Hospital are a testimony um, to the massive improvement under Labour's NHS. But both, both because there are no buts. Uh, but save that can I ask my right honourable friend how local people can challenge the bizarre proposals by bureaucrats to downgrade these much these, va these valued and cherished services? Um, well, first of all, uh, my honourable friend is absolutely right to say there has been enormous progress in the health service. Waiting lists are down by some 400,000. The number of deaths from heart disease is down since 1997, about 150,000. We now have no one waiting over six months. When we came to office, it was over 80 months. There were thousands waiting. There have been improvements in cancer care, cataracts, in accident and emergency. And, of course, any changes that are proposed locally will have to be fully consulted on, and those decisions will be taken locally by those responsible for the local National Health Service. That is the sensible way to proceed, but this government has put an enormous investment into our National Health Service, and it's important the right decisions are taken for its future at a local level. There we have it, Mr Speaker. No buts, just cuts. Can I join the Prime Minister in sending our condolences to the families of those soldiers who gave their lives in Iraq and Afghanistan over the last few months? We must make sure that they do not die in vain. The Home Office has explained that it is moving prisoners at risk of escaping to open prisons. The Home Secretary is apparently happy with this. Is the Prime Minister? As the Home Secretary just pointed out, responding is actually the, the lowest for 10 years. And therefore, the idea, the idea that we have a situation of which we're going to put the public at risk is absolutely absurd. Uh, there will be no people who are put in open prisons that are a risk to the public. And as the Home Secretary has just pointed out, the figures on absconding are actually the lowest for 10 years. And let me point something else out to him, that when he was actually advising the Home Secretary at the Home Office under the last administration... We had many, many Category A prisoners as well as other Category prisoners escape, and I'm pleased to say I think under this administration there have been no Category A escapes. But the public are at risk and the Home Secretary knows it. I've got here a memo from the Governor of Ford Open Prison that could not be clearer. It says this will mean almost inevitably that the abscond rate, that's people escaping, will go up in Cat D prisons. Medium-term burglars and robbers are likely to abscond. Whatever happened to tough on crime? Now let's look at something else. Ah. Hold on a minute. 
I know you've only got a few more goes. <laughs> let's, let's look at something else. Let's look at something else the Prime Minister said. He said that any foreign national convicted of an imprisonable offence should be deported automatically. The Home Secretary is now bribing prisoners with up to £2,500 to get them to go home. Whatever happened to automatic deportation? Uh, what the Home Secretary is doing very sensibly is making sure that we can ensure that all those foreign secretary, uh, foreign... <laughs> There's not much of a recovery after that one, but um, that all those foreign prisoners can be returned as early as possible. And it is obviously going to cost money in order to do that, but in order to make sure that it happens more quickly, then we're making sure not that they're given a cash payment. This is absolutely wrong. What happens is that we're able to, to make sure that we pay for their return before their sentence is completed so that we reduce the pressure on British prisons and when their sentence is completed so that they're returned immediately. That is the only way we will get the foreign prisoners back quickly. Well, let's actually look at what happened. Of the 1,000 prisoners, those are the ones that were released who should have been deported, only 86 have actually been sent home. That is not automatic deportation. Now, let's look at another thing the government said. The Health Secretary told us this was the best ever year for the NHS. Will the Prime Minister confirm that since then, 20,000 jobs are being cut, 80 community hospitals are under threat, and 60 major hospitals face cutbacks? Would he describe it as the best ever year for the NHS? Well, first of all, I'm delighted we've got on to the National Health Service. Um, there are not 20,000 jobs going in the National Health Service. Actually, since this government's come to power, there are a quarter of a million extra people employed in the National Health Service. But let me just point out to him, since he's launching this campaign on Saturday about cuts in the National Health Service, his policy proposal earlier this week is for an independent commissioning board that would apparently be free to commission all services. No, nobody. Nobody on this front bench is in favour of an independent commissioning board. Okay. They will be free to commission all services, and we know from the Honourable Member for Dorset North that there will be no limits to independent commissioning. That is right. Now, therefore, under his proposal, if they wish to commission maternity services or paediatric services or diagnostics from the private sector, they will be able to do so without limit. So how does he put forward that policy proposal on the Monday and then launch a campaign asking me to intervene with local decisions, provide more money at the end of the week? I don't know why the Prime Minister is attacking our health policy. One of his health ministers has said it's worth looking at and the Chancellor's going round briefing everyone that he'd introduce it. I know, I know the Prime Minister and the Chancellor don't talk anymore, but if you read the newspapers, he might find out what his Chancellor thinks. The Prime Minister is living in a fantasy world. In the real world, community hospitals are closes, closing, nurses are facing the sack and beds are being lost. No wonder Labour isn't trusted anymore with the NHS. Yeah. Now, let's look at something else the Prime Minister told us. He told us in January, you'll enjoy this one, I'm absolutely happy, I'm absolutely happy that Gordon Brown will be my successor. This is what he said, he needs the confidence of knowing he will succeed me, and that's fair enough. Does the Prime Minister still think that today? Well, Mr Speaker, uh, let me just say to him, oh, let me say to him, 
I think I don't resolve from anything I've said, but let, let me just go back for a moment. No, no, no. Let us go back for a moment to the National Health Service, right? He's, he has just proposed, he has just proposed a campaign saying that he would reverse all those decisions that are being taken by local decision makers on the NHS, and he is saying that he would reverse those decisions. Right, let me read to him from his campaign document. The Prime Minister has gone on too much about the campaign document of the Conservative Party. I, I give the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition some elbow room, and I've given that elbow room, and uh, I ask both the, the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition to take my advice, or, or it will be my instructions soon, sooner or later. Uh, Prime Minister. I'm delighted to say why. I'm delighted. I know how to chair the proceeding. I know how to do it. Let the Prime Minister speak. I'm simply explaining why I will not accept the policy on the NHS proposed by the Conservative Party. Well, he is, I assume he launches this policy proposal because he wants us to accept it. And the reason I won't accept it is this, because his proposal is for an independent board to take all commissioning decisions and the allocation of resources. That would mean no accountability for politicians in this House about the decisions that are taken. And it would mean, since there are no limits to the private sector involvement, that any of these services he's going to protest about at the end of the week would be guaranteed under his proposals made at the beginning of the week. Look, it was a pretty straight sort of question, and he's told us he's a pretty straight sort of guy. Does he back the Chancellor as his successor, yes or no? I mean, I do. Do you? I... Well, I'm sure he's a lot happier talking about that than he is about policy, but I'm going to talk about policy. Yes, I am. I'm sorry, I am going to talk about the policy on the National Health Service, our policy and his policy, because in the end, the issue for the country is who has got the right policies for the future, and it is this party that has made record investment in the National Health Service that he voted against. It's this party that has delivered better waiting times, lower waiting lists, improved cardiac and cancer care, better accident emergency departments, and his policies would put all of that at risk. And that's why we will stick with our policies, not his. Everyone can see that this government is divided and paralysed. We've got a Prime Minister who doesn't trust his Chancellor, a Chancellor who's been accused of blackmail, the latest Home Secretary wants the Prime Minister's job, the Deputy Prime Minister hasn't got a job but he's still being paid, and all the while hospital wards are closing and the prison system is in chaos. How many more months of this paralysis have we got to put up with? That's precise. There is no paralysis when we, are record, when we have record investment in the health service, which is delivering the results we say. And the reason why it's important that we resist his campaign against the cuts is this. That the changes that we are making in the National Health Service are necessary to make the health service fit for the modern age, when it is changing rapidly, when new technologies and treatments are coming on, when 70% of cases are now daycare cases, he can make all the remarks he wants.
but actually it is this government on welfare, on pensions, on energy, on the National Health Service, on education that is driving forward whilst his party has a series of policies that face both ways, have no credibility whatever. And if he wants to be taken seriously as a leader, get serious on substance. Order. Jessica Morden. Mr Speaker, last week the Government confirmed that paid maternity leave will be increased from six to nine months from April next year, <laughs> making a huge difference to the lives of about 400,000 women a year and many expectant mums in my constituency. Given I'm personally not going to be able to hang on that long, would the Prime Minister consider putting in a good word with the Chief Whip for me? Um, well, I think it's an interesting suggestion. And first of all, can I uh, offer my uh, congratulations? to my honourable friend and hope that all goes well for um, her piece of individual delivery uh, and say to her that of course over these past few years we have improved maternity pay, we've ma improved maternity leave, we've introduced maternity pay, we've expanded childcare places by around about one million, we've um, given free nursery education for three and four year olds, we're going to expand that still further, we've actually given the right to flexible working for the first time. Uh, we are making sure that in maternity pay and maternity leave, we're prepared to go even further. And that is the difference between a government that actually delivers on policy and one that doesn't. Yeah. 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 So, Campbell, yeah. Yeah. may I join the Prime Minister in his expressions of sympathy and condolence for those who have lost their lives since the House last met. We should never forget that each and every one of them leaves behind a grieving family and friends. Nor indeed should we forget the thousands of Iraqi and Afghani civilians who have also lost their lives. But turning to Northern Ireland, with which the Prime Minister will be engaged later today, and for which he has the support of the vast majority of the House, can he confirm that the Government is still committed to the shared future agenda, which the Government published in March of this year, which advocates integration for the Northern Ireland community and not separation? I certainly can confirm that. I mean, the, the, the shared future agenda for the people of Northern Ireland is essential. We, we published an action plan in order to achieve that um, earlier this year. And obviously, what is necessary now is to get the, the political stability within the right political framework for the future. And we very much hope we can do that. So, Mingus Campbell. The Prime Minister knows well that the deadline of the 24th of November is only now some six weeks away. But in the past, deadlines have come and gone. What is different? about this deadline, and if it is not met, what will the government do? Well, I think probably uh, a few hours before the talks are about to begin, it would be uh, not very sensible to speculate on what happens if they don't work. Um, I think what is important is to recognise that this deadline is, is not merely a deadline there in legislation, but that it's necessary, if we're going to make progress in Northern Ireland, to realise that the issues aren't going to change. I mean, the issues are the issues that have been there all the way through. Um, the reason why we haven't had a, a shared a power-sharing executive in Northern Ireland over these past um, few years, uh, since 2002, is precisely because we've been unable to resolve these outstanding issues. Now, they're not going to change. Um, they're not going to uh, go away. Um, they're still going to be there, uh, irrespective of what happens. And this is a one-off opportunity, in my view, um, to build on all the progress that's been made and put in place a, a, a future for the people of Northern Ireland that will, that will last, that will allow prosperity, that will allow people to um, celebrate the diversity of Northern Ireland, that will allow people to pursue their um, political objectives, but in a peaceful way. And I think that is a, an historic opportunity, and we should seize it. Russell Brown. 
Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Can I say to the Prime Minister that last month I actually visited, along with uh, my colleague, the Honourable Member for Gainsborough, the Democratic Republic of Congo, where we were able to see the excellent work being undertaken by uh, the charity War Child in respect of street children and child soldiers. Only today, Amnesty International has expressed grave concern about the numbers of child soldiers still being held by warlords. Can the Prime Minister guarantee that this government will bring pressure upon the new government in the DRC to take immediate action to see these child soldiers being released from the hands of the warlords? This is a problem in the Congo. It's also a problem in other parts of Africa as well. I mean, we have a very clear position on it. We put maximum pressure on any government, indeed um, any non-governmental bodies that are, that are engaged in, in what is a form of child slavery and oppression that is truly disgusting. And I can assure my honourable friend we will continue to do everything we can to eradicate this in the Congo and elsewhere. Daniel Kavinsky. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In a, in a major land swap deal, uh, Shrewsbury Natchin Borough Council wished to build a museum for Charles Darwin on the site of his birth and also recreational facilities on land near Shelton Hospital. Both these sites are owned by the government, and unfortunately the council are experiencing a lot of red tape in purchasing this land. Would the Prime Minister please use the good offices that he has to help Shrewsbury Council to secure this land, rather than making them go through compulsory purchase order and thus costing Shrewsbury taxpayers more money. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm very uh, happy to look into it for him. I hope he makes a, a speedy recovery. And can I s say to him that, uh, I mean, I do know a, a little bit about the issue, and I'm sure it's a very worthwhile thing to do, but I need to um, check whether it's possible for us to intervene in a helpful way or not. So I will get in touch with him as soon as I can about it. Nick Palmer. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Dame Pauline Neville-Jones, the former chair of the Joint Intelligence Committee, said this month there is a growing issue that it is too easy to steal someone's identity and ID cards are one way of addressing the issue. Does he agree with her or does he feel that we should perhaps not be trying to identify criminals but to understand them better and perhaps give them a hug? Well, um, I think uh, what um, Pauline Neville-Jones says is absolutely sensible and there's a very clear reason why. Um, it is, and yet another example of whom I might say so, where the Conservative policy faces both ways, but, because she is, of course, the, the chairing their, their security commission. Um, but the reason why identity cards are important is very, very simple. 70% of the costs of them are going to be necessary for the new passports in any event. Identity fraud and abuse is a major, major question. And quite apart from the benefits for the individual in having secure identity, it is impossible to say we are serious about tracking who is in this country and entitled to be in and who goes out unless there is a system of identity. Absolutely impossible. And so anybody who is serious about dealing with illegal immigration has to get serious on the subject of ident identity cards. Will the Prime Minister give serious consideration to the petition which was delivered to Downing Street last month on behalf of the residents of Potter's Bar protesting about the closure of one-third of the beds at Potter's Bar Hospital, a modern, purpose-built community hospital which only opened in 1995. Will the Prime Minister take a look at this issue affecting an excellent community hospital? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but as, again, the, the Honourable Gentleman will know that the, the reasons that are being 
put forward for the changes is not that they're going to diminish community facilities, but they're going to provide them in a different way. And that is, uh, that is a, I'm sorry, but that is a change that is going on absolutely throughout the health service for perfectly good reasons. And his petition to me, which I, uh, uh, I have read the reports of it, uh, it does make the point about the differential in funding between different parts of the country. It is, it is true, uh, since uh, he has said it um, in, in his local newspaper, that, for example, there is a 20% gap between the funding for his constituency per head and my constituency. But that is based on the figures in relation to mortality for cancer, mortality through coronary disease, low birth weight, and actually, the fact is that most NHS resources should be given to those areas where the disease burden is highest. That is a quote from the Conservative campaign document. Diana Johnson. Given the latest figures around obesity, will my right honourable friend join with me in congratulating the Labour councillors in Hull who introduced the Eat Well, Do Well scheme, which has doubled, which has doubled the uptake of healthy free school meals in Hull? I'm delighted to congratulate them, uh, and I'm, I'm sure it's uh, a very important part of, of, of the public health drive in Hull and elsewhere in the country. And of course, the, the, the reason why it is important to do this is as we extend community facilities, as for example there are uh, the changes in school dinners in schools, in competitive sport in schools, which is now up to 80% from 50% that we inherited, um, as we're able to provide greater local community services uh, in which public health is a major part of those services, then of course it's an important part of making sure that the general health of the nation is greater and that will reduce the long-term costs in our health care system. Stuart Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. On the 29th of April this year, on behalf of my constituents in Peterborough on, a, on an issue of major importance, I asked the Home Office a very simple question. How many foreign prisoners have been released from Peterborough Prison in the previous 12 months. Five months on, I have yet to receive a satisfactory reply. Having once described himself with his customary humility as a pretty straight kind of guy, why is it impossible to get a straight answer to a straight question from this Prime Minister and his government? Yeah. I obviously don't personally know the figures in uh, respect of, of Peterborough, I will have to look into that, I'll have to reply to him. But let me just make one thing clear to him, uh, that in removing the foreign prisoners, and of course um, in certain instances there are difficulties in the courts and elsewhere in doing that, but we are actually keeping figures on the foreign prisoners for the first time in years. And that is something where under the previous government there were no such figures kept at all. Ben Chapman. Uh, whilst joining the House's uh, welcome, Mr Speaker, for the packages, package of measures announced by the Secretary of State to support our troops serving bravely in the difficult theatres of Iraq and Afghanistan, can I ask, and the Balkans, can I ask my right honourable friend if he will think more widely as to what further measures of support could be given to our troops serving overseas? Is it right, for example, that people serving valiantly in other countries should be asked to pay council taxes in this? Um, first of all, can I thank uh, my old friend for uh, his welcome of the measures that were announced yesterday, and that is going to be very important, obviously, the tax-free bonus um, of over £2,000 for completing a six-month operational tour. And also, um, the separation allowance announcement will be important in this regard as well. Um, 
In addition, there are other issues that we are presently looking at. One of those is the issue to which he referred in respect of the, the council tax, and the Ministry of Defence are discussing this with the um, Department for Communities and Local Government. And then there is another issue as, as well, which is a specific issue about soldiers who fight for our armed forces uh, from Commonwealth countries and who face difficulties on naturalisation um, in respect of residence requirements. Now, um, this is, again, something we want to look at as a matter of urgency, and I hope we can announce changes to this in the next few weeks. Stephen Crabb. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Two businesses in Pembrokeshire, between them alone, contribute around £200 million to the Exchequer in tax every single month. Given the enormous sums of tax now being raised from companies in Pembrokeshire and households as well, could the Prime Minister please explain to local people why is it that their NHS dentists have disappeared, why is it that their last full-time fire station is being downgraded, and why is the excellent Withybush Hospital in Haverford West now being earmarked for closure? It's an appalling record of public service cuts. First of all, um, actually, in his area, I should just point out where the money has gone. It's gone into 400 more consultants, 7,500 more nurses, 100 more dentists, and on education, on education, there are 1,700 more teachers and 5,700 more support staff, and class sizes are at historically low levels. And he might also want to know that unemployment is historically low, interest rates are historically low, inflation is historically high, low, and the economy is the strongest it has ever been. Minister, take a personal interest in the current negotiations taking place between the Bulgarian authorities and the UK authorities on the transfer of Michael Shields from a Bulgarian jail to the United Kingdom. <clears throat> what qualities does he believe Bulgaria would bring to an enlarged European Union? Well, I think it is important we continue with the enlargement process um, because this is something that, that helps countries um, make um, progress both in, in political terms and in economic terms. But I do understand her concern about the individual case. I know she's raised it with me before. Uh, we will continue to raise it with the Bulgarian authorities. Um, but obviously this is something where we have got to be very careful about interfering uh, with another country's independent judicial process. But nonetheless, I can assure her, um, we will watch the case and monitor it very, very closely. And we are in touch with the Bel Bulgarian authorities about it. Adrian Sanders. When the Prime Minister wrote to his Secretaries of State on the 19th of May, setting out key challenges ahead, why in his letter to the Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport did he not mention tourism, one of the country's main industries? Well, of course, tourism is a, a vital priority, not just for that department, but for the industry department as well. Um, and I'm pleased to say, particularly as a result of the investment in skills, we are improving the quality of tourism in this country all the time. We are attracting uh, more and more people to this country and to constituencies like his for very, very good reasons. And we'll continue to do everything we can to support our tourist industry. Williams. Speaker. My credible friend will be aware of the strength of feeling in this House on both sides uh, concerning climate change. Um, I have written to him uh, recently on behalf of many, many constituents asking for a climate change bill to be introduced. Um, am I likely to be satisfied and happy with the reply when I receive it from my right honourable friend? Um, well, uh, there's nothing that would please me more than to make my own friend uh, happy and satisfied, but I, we will have to wait for the Queen's speech. Uh, 
for, for the outline of the bills there. But she is absolutely right to emphasize the priority that we attach to the climate change issue. That's why we introduced the climate change levy that's saving millions of tons of, of carbon a year. Um, it's why it is important at an international level that we work with the European Union um, and with other countries. Why last week in Mexico we made real progress um, on a framework once the Kyoto Protocol expires in 2012. And it's why we've announced recently a five-fold increase in renewable energies. So there's an immense amount uh, happening here. And I can assure you we will continue to take the issue very seriously. And I'm afraid you will have to wait for the Queen's speech to see whether her satisfaction is complete or not. For Brussels. This week, soldiers from 16 Air Assault Brigade have been returned to Costa Garrison after dangerous deployment in Afghanistan. I'm sure the whole House will salute their courage, will send best wishes for recovery for those who have been injured, and condolences to the families of those who lost their lives serving their country. Captain James Phillipson, Private Damien Jackson, Captain Alex Eder, Private Andrew Cutts, Corporal Brian Budd, and Corporal Mark Wright. Will the Prime Minister confirm that the reason why the UK is in Afghanistan is to help rid the world of terrorism? If that is the case, does he share my dismay that the majority of European Union and NATO countries have not deployed their troops to Helmand Province? Firstly, let me join with them in uh, paying tribute to the Paris and the work that they've done in Afghanistan, which has been extraordinary. It is uh, hard for anyone to imagine um, the trial that they have been through or the courage with which they've met it. And it is also very, very clear as a result of what is happening in Helmand province now that they have been successful in pushing the Taliban back. That is by no means over at all. It's a struggle that continues, but it's absolutely essential that we, we, we continue with it. And he is also right in saying it's important that all members of NATO play their part. Um, now, to be fair, however, there are Canadian soldiers there who are also losing their lives. Um, there are American soldiers there, um, Spain, Italy, uh, France, Germany, all of them have lost troops. When I was with the Finnish Prime Minister last week, even Finland had, had lost troops from its relatively small contingent there. It is a very difficult situation. We do want to make sure NATO does more. That's what the Defence Secretary said at the meeting the other day. Um, and I think what is important, actually, is for all of us to go back and make it clear why it is important our troops are there. This is a, a country that was used as a training ground from al-Qaeda. It was out of there, and the export of terrorism, the September 11th attacks were launched, where we lost more lives than Britain has ever suffered in a terrorist incident. Um, if we allow that part of Afghanistan or any part to go back into the grip of the Taliban and al-Qaeda, they will become yet again a trading ground for terrorism. That's why the work that our Paris did was not just immensely brave, but immensely necessary. And sometimes I think it's important not merely that we support our troops in the sense of saluting their courage, because that is very, very obvious, but also support and get, have pride in the success of the work that they're doing there, which is absolutely vital, not just for our security, but for the security of the whole world. And we should be extremely grateful. We've got men and women in our armed forces who are prepared to risk their lives and make that sacrifice. Yeah. Order.